Well, good morning and welcome to Liberty. My name is Pastor Zach. I'm the campus pastor at Liberty in Smithfield. And what a joy it is to gather on this weekend of storms here in Hampton Roads. Uh, But God wants to just rain down a blessing on you through his word this morning. And so we thank you uh, for joining us, whether you're joining us online or at one of our campuses. God wants to speak to you today. I also want to let you know just that Pastor Grant and Miss Tammy, they're getting some much needed time off and they look forward to being back here soon, recharged and refreshed and ready uh, to lead us into the season ahead. And this morning, we are continuing our series on the armor of God, the armor of God. God has spoken to us each week in this series as we have studied this passage in Ephesians 6, and I really believe God wants to speak to you today. This section we've been studying was Paul's final message to the church at Ephesus. If you knew it would be the last time you were speaking to someone, uh, wouldn't you be careful with what you chose to say? And, and Paul, uh, he knew These would be his last words, his final words to the church at Ephesus. And this is what he chose to say. Take up the whole armor of God. It starts in verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand Firm. In the first week, we saw that we must stand against Satan in God's power and in God's armor. And we begin with the armor of truth. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. We stand against Satan uh, with the belt of truth because Satan is a liar. And not only in truth, it also says having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We stand in righteousness because Satan is wicked and and we're sinful too, but God has given us an eternal righteousness in Christ as a gift from God through faith that enables us to walk in an everyday righteousness, victorious over Satan and sin. And then we saw last week that we have shoes for our feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We stand in the gospel with a readiness to witness and with a spirit of peace because Satan has waged war on every human soul and he wants nothing more than to drag every one of them into everlasting destruction. But Jesus has come that we may have everlasting life. And his gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. And so Paul's final challenge to the church is that we must stand in the evil day 
against the evil one in God's armor. We need spiritual armor for the spiritual battle. And so it's time for every Christian to stand, and we must stand against the schemes of the devil with truth and with righteousness and with the good news of the gospel because greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. Come on, put your hands together. Celebrate what God has done. Well, I read just this week where Coach uh, Paul Bear Bryant, he said, everyone has the will to win, but few have the will to prepare to win. And this is the time of preparation. On this Lord's Day, on this Sunday, on this day of Christ's victory, that we prepare to win this week. And so if you're ready, say amen. 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 Well, here we go. Verse 16. In addition to all this, I had to give you all this. Where we've we been so far? Because in addition to all that, maybe some of your translations maybe say above all. Uh, but I want to note that above all doesn't mean more important than the rest. Above all means on top of all that. On top of all that, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You see, in the first century, Roman soldiers would have carried a large four-foot wooden shield. It would have had a metal border. It would have been wrapped in leather. And they would soak them in water uh, to make them fire-resistant as they went into the battle because opposing armies would have barraged the Roman infantry with arrows uh, from, from a great distance before they engaged in hand-to-hand combat. It was like first century artillery meant to weaken and soften the front lines before the battle. A Roman soldier without his shield would have been dead before the major fighting even got started. And so it is in the Christian battle. Without faith, you've lost before you've even begun. If faith, as as John said in 1 John 5, if faith is the victory that overcomes the world, then unbelief is our certain defeat. Faith, Paul says, is a shield that extinguishes Satan's flaming arrows. And this military imagery represents spiritual realities. It represents spiritual reality. So let's consider each part of the analogy further. What are Satan's flaming arrows? And how is faith a shield that extinguishes him? So first, if you're taking notes, the flaming arrows. Flaming arrows. Satan has two great quivers from which he launches his fiery arrows. Falsehood and fear. You see, Satan is a liar. He is a fraud. Jesus said that the devil has been a liar from the very beginning. And that serpent's greatest weapon is deception. But when you believe the truth, what did Jesus say? When you have faith in the truth, the truth will set you free. In fact, I believe if Satan cannot deceive you, he cannot defeat you. If Satan cannot deceive you, he cannot defeat you. And so deceive he does. He has a volley of lies aimed right at you, meant to destroy your faith, 
and defeat your purpose. He seeks to confuse. He said, what did he say at the beginning? Did God really say? He aims to demoralize. He'll say, you can't really change. You'll never be free. God doesn't love you. No one loves you. You really think after all that you have done that you can truly be forgiven and go to heaven? He pierces your heart and mind with a lie. And the words may come from a family member. The words may come out of the mouth of a spouse. They may come from a boss or, a, or one of your children. Or they may even come from your own mind. But those lies have Satan behind them. He is the father of all lies. And Satan is the craftiest creature of all. Not only will he lie to demoralize you, he will also blind you with the lies of pride. He will puff you up with so much arrogance and self-assurance that there'll be no more room in your heart for faith in God. It was after Gideon had defeated Midian that he made the ephod that became a snare. It was, uh, it was when in Samson believed he was too strong to fail that he became too weak to fight. It was when David was strong and his kingdom was established that Satan tempted him to number the people. It was after Hezekiah had led a revival and been delivered from his foreign enemies and been healed from sickness and disease that he became proud. You see, Satan knows all too well that pride comes before a fall. He is happy to destroy with a variety of lies. It would please him to deceive you into believing the lie that God has forgotten you. But he would be just as pleased to deceive you into forgetting your need for God. His quiver of falsehoods is filled with flaming arrows of all shapes and sizes. But they're set ablaze from hell to extinguish your faith and to, and to come against you and defeat you in the spiritual battle. But when falsehood fails, Satan, he turns up the heat with fear. Satan isn't just a, a slithering snake, is he? No, he is also a roaring lion. And what else can get soldiers to break their line and scatter like fear? He wants to take you out of the battle. He wants you to retreat in fear. And he points his lies at our deepest insecurities. He wants to unsettle you and intimidate you. Satan wants you to be afraid, to worry. He wants you to be paralyzed with fears. All kinds of fears that, that we are victim to that he uses. The fear of man. This is that fear of rejection. Maybe it's, it's the fear of missing out. It's that wondering, am I gonna have this person's approval or acceptance? If I do this or say this for Christ, will I be canceled? You see, the fear of man is a snare, the scriptures warn us, and it has taken so many out of the fight. 
And also the fear of not having enough. You wonder, will I be able to buy that house? Will I be able to afford uh, that vehicle that I need? Uh, Maybe you're getting closer to retirement and you're worried and you're thinking, will I have enough uh, money and financial stability to actually retire? Or or maybe you're younger and you're thinking, will I have enough to keep up with with what's cool and the latest fad and and to have the things I want to have? And and you're afraid of of not having enough resources resources. Maybe it's the fear of sickness and death. Uh, Satan doesn't want you to have hope beyond this life. He wants you to be so crippled by the fear of sickness and death that you fail to ever truly live for him. Uh, Fear of the future. Maybe you're afraid of that meeting that's coming up or that test that you need to take or that date that you're planning to go on, or, or that doctor's appointment, or your kid's future. You're, you're fearful about the future of the economy, or the country, or your relationship. And, and Jesus has told us, he said, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And, and when we can't come up with a specific fear, maybe we just have a fear of the unknown. It's that fear of the unknown Sometimes we don't even have something specific to be afraid of. Uh, but I remember Martin Lloyd-Jones' sermon uh, on, in, on worry from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He, he said this. He said, if worry cannot up its case on the facts it has before it, it does not hesitate to conjure up its own facts to worry. Satan awakens these fears, and he awakens these fears with the fiery trials of life. Uh, look at 1 Peter chapter 4. He said, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. That's what we're talking about today, those fiery arrows, the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. How do we respond to the fiery trial? Peter tells us in chapter five, he says, humble yourselves. Maybe he's deceiving you with pride and you're puffed up with with this overconfidence and, and God tells us, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And then maybe Satan is demoralizing you with lies that are tearing you down. And and what does Peter say? Cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. He has not forgotten you. And be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so how do we resist him? He says, resist him firm in your, you say it, faith, firm in your faith. And you see, the apostle Peter, he, he was not just speaking out of some theory. He had experienced all of this Firsthand, Jesus warned him. He said, Simon Peter, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your what? Your faith may not fail. And so what we see here from Peter and and from Paul is that Satan has these volley of fears aimed straight at your deepest insecurities and you need a shield. You need a refuge of protection that can block and extinguish the fiery arrows of Satan. 
The shield that we need is the shield of faith. But before we look at that, I think we need to consider the other shields we might be trying to hide behind. I would call them false shields. False shields. We all are hiding, seeking refuge in various things, and maybe it's not in God. And before we jump to the shield of faith, maybe we ought to identify, self-identify, what shield you might be hiding behind today that is actually no shield at all. Here's some false shields that came to mind for me. The shield of money. The shield of money. You're afraid you're not gonna have enough and you think, well, money, if I could just have more money, money will be my safety. Money will be my security. I remember what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, uh, verse 17. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be proud nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. I think about what Jesus said, that Satan wants to steal away the word and choke out the word with the deceitfulness of riches. Maybe you're looking to money as a shield. Or maybe you're looking to achievement as a shield, the shield of achievement. Maybe you're leaning on your past successes. Uh, Maybe your success in in your career. Maybe uh, success in your family life. Uh, Maybe even spiritual successes and spiritual achievements. But past success will not guarantee future victory. Uh, I remember how David lamented, oh, how the mighty have fallen. At one time, they stood strong. At one time, they had achieved great things. And yet there they were, fallen. Or maybe the shield of food. The shield of food, your problems, you just feel like your problems are eating you alive. And so what do you do? You try to eat away your problems and you run to those comfort foods as a shield to to run away from the problems in life. Or, Or maybe it's the shield of alcohol, the shield of alcohol. Perhaps you've deceived yourself into thinking, well, I'm just trying to take the edge off after that stressful day. But really, you're dependent upon that alcohol. And you're trying to drown your sorrows or numb your pain. Maybe it's a shield of entertainment. The shield of entertainment. We don't want to face the spiritual realities of our lives. So what do we do? We escape. We distract ourselves with entertainment, with social media and TV. Or maybe it's a shield of weapons. The shield of physical weapons themselves, maybe your peace, maybe your security in a chaotic world is locked up in the safe in your house. Uh, As you've heard on many occasions, Pastor Grant has joked that he is a pistol-toting preacher. And a couple of Christmases ago, All the guys on our side of the family, we got together a week after Christmas and and we went out, we went shooting together at at my brother's property and we brought all of our own guns and of course we're looking at them and so fascinated with them and it's so cool to see their guns and shoot someone else's gun and so we're shooting guns and having a great time together. Well, my, my dad, he was shooting my Glock 19 And if you have a clock, you know that the slide has these grooves on the the back half of the slide. 
Well, the way that he was holding the pistol when he shot, his left thumb, that fingernail got caught on one of those grooves. And would you know that a fingernail is significantly weaker than the recoil of a gun? And so he shoots that gun, and all of a sudden, he puts it down. He's holding his, his, his hand. He's bleeding. There's blood everywhere. We think he shot himself. <laughs> what is going on? And so sure enough, it, it just, it, it, he had peeled that thumbnail back. He was bleeding terribly. And so, and so he wraps it up and he pushed it back down. He just pushed that nail back down. He wrapped it up and Taylor was saying, we just need to call it quits. Like we've, we've had enough fun, enough, enough hurt for today. Let's just wrap it up and go home. But I just want you to know, Pastor Grant insisted we're gonna keep on shooting. And so he wrapped that thing up. We kept on shooting for a little while later. And then we went home and we all lived to tell the story. <laughs> but maybe your family's like our family. We have guns, right? And I remember those Under Armour commercials. Maybe you remember, I will protect this house, right? I will protect this house. And so many men, rightly so, have this mentality. I'm gonna protect my family, protect my house. But, but let me ask you just a question, self-evaluate here. Have you invested in the very real spiritual battle as much as you have prepared for a potential physical battle? Have you invested in the real spiritual battle as much as you have prepared for a potential physical altercation in your home? against your family. You see, you can set every alarm and lock every door, but perhaps Satan is already actively working in your home through your child's phone and through your TV and through your music. You may think, well, no one's gonna come in my house and mess with my family. All the while, the devil is already firing lies out of every television and phone and iPad in your house. So to the men, to the husbands, to the moms too, but especially to the fathers, because I have a sense that we are more infatuated with the guns than others. You need to know that your arsenal at home is of no use in the spiritual war. You may be armed to the gills, but apart from the spiritual armor, your soul and your home are defenseless against the evil one. The number of weapons you have will never, never compensate for your prayerlessness. Never compensate for your spiritual apathy, for your spiritual absence, for your sin. Oh, how Satan would love to deceive you into thinking that you are shielded and protected when you are not. We need real protection from the evil one. And that true shield is the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Now, some people think that faith is below them, but really everybody lives by faith in something. I love what Pastor Grant has said, even from this pulpit. He said, and I quote, the doctor sends a prescription you can't read to a pharmacist you don't know 
who fills it with a medicine you've never heard of, and you swallow the pill every single day. Don't tell me you don't live by faith. You ride roller coasters and drive over bridges and drive through tunnels that were built by the lowest bidder. But, but you have trouble putting your faith in the God of the universe. You have trouble putting your faith in the God of the universe. You see, faith is not a spare tire that you just throw on when you've exhausted reason. Everybody lives by faith. I love what skeptic-turned-Christian Lee Strobel wrote. He said, to continue in atheism, I need to believe that nothing produces everything. Non-life produces life. Randomness produces fine-tuning. Chaos produces information. Unconsciousness produces consciousness. And non-reason produces reason. I just didn't have that much faith. You see, everyone has faith in something. And the question is, what is your faith in? What are you trusting in? Faith in anything is not a shield. It's only faith in the one who has defeated Satan that is a shield against Satan's fiery arrows. It is faith in Jesus who reigns above all with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. It is faith in God that is a shield for us. So what does faith in God look like? Just quickly here. Faith in God, that shield, looks like trusting God's character and believing God's word and obeying God's commands. Let's just consider that briefly here. Trusting God's character. Uh, I love this. Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. You say it, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And then in verse 30, he says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Or maybe Isaiah 43. Oh, how we all love this passage. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. Oh, when Satan wants you to be afraid, you just remember God's redeemed me. And he's called you by name. And you are his. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire. Sometimes it's the flaming arrows, but sometimes Satan has you in the fiery furnace itself. And when you are in the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Why? For I am the Lord your God. He is our shield. Do you trust in God's character? Do you trust that God is going to be who he's always been for you. And so we need to trust in God's character. That is the chief object of our faith. God himself, he is our shield. And not just trusting in God's character, but believing in God's word. Believing in God's word. Uh, one, one more thing here. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow 
their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. It says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? When they fit their arrow to the bow, what can the righteous do? In the Lord I take refuge. He is our shield. You have to trust his character. And not just trusting his character, but part of trusting his character is believing his word. Believing in his word. It says in Psalm 119, 114, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Or in Proverbs 30, verse five, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Uh, I think a great example of this kind uh, of faith, faith in God and trusting his word is in Hebrews 13. It says, keep your life free from the love of money. And we, when, when Satan wants to deceive you with the deceitfulness of, of, of riches, uh, when he wants to attack you so that you won't be content with what you have, uh, he says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And how do you do that? How do you actually employ faith and use it as a shield? Here's what it says. For he has said. The biblical author writing to these Christians says, you have to remember what God has said. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Or, or what did God say to Abram? It said, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And, and he said, fear not, for I am your shield. He tells them, don't be afraid, I am your shield. And, and what did the Apostle Paul say in Romans 4 of, of Abraham? He did not weaken in faith, the shield of faith, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his, you say it, faith, strong in his faith, that shield. And he gave glory to God, fully convinced of what? That God was able to do what he had promised, what he had said. You trust in God's character by believing God's word, believing God's word. And I think about those Roman legions how they would use their shield, not just to protect themselves, but to protect each other. I know of a group of guys that works out together, and afterwards, on Thursdays, uh, they have a little small group together. And you know what they call it? Shield lock. Shield lock. I love that. We have to be a shield for one another. There will be times when you feel too weak to believe. When, unlike Abraham, you feel like you are wavering. And when those fiery arrows are raining down from every direction, you are going to need people around you who believe, who have faith in God's character, who believe in God's word, who will lock shields with you, who will cover you with hope and faith and prayer when you feel like you cannot fight for yourself. Maybe you're puffed up with pride and you think, I don't need anybody else, so Satan wants you to believe that. But there will be days when you are weak and know how you need the faith of others covering you in prayer, surrounding you with protection of faith in God when you can hardly believe for yourself. 
And so we trust God's character. That's what the shield of faith looks like. And we believe God's word. That's what it looks like to use the shield of faith. There's one other thing here. You've got to obey God's commands. You've got to obey God's commands. I don't have time to get into all this, but here's what Paul said matters. The only thing that counts for anything is faith working through love. Faith working. Or you've heard it in James 2. Apart from works, faith is dead. Apart from works, faith is dead. Faith without works is dead. Uh, To say it another way, a shield offers no protection to the one who does not pick it up and use it. Think about those Roman soldiers. You have a shield there. A shield that is able to extinguish the fiery arrows. But what use is it laying on the ground? You have to take it up. You have to take it in your hand and use it. That looks like going out there and living your faith. The soldier must actively use it in his defense. I would say it this way. Faith at work is a shield that works. Faith at work is a shield that works. In Hebrews 11, the the, story, the chapter all about faith. It says, by faith, Abel offered a sacrifice. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham went. By faith, Moses' parents hid him. By faith, Israel crossed the Red Sea. By faith, Rahab welcomed the spies. By faith, some conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, and stopped the mouths of lions. By faith, others endured persecution and imprisonment and rejection. By faith, they all did something. They obeyed God. What did Paul say elsewhere? The righteous shall live by faith. How do we say it here at Liberty? It's not just church, it's life. Come on, you say it. It's not just church, it's life. Are you living your faith? Have you taken it up and you're marching out in obedient battle for Christ and with Christ? When you're trusting in God's character and you're believing in God's word, that faith is gonna overflow in action in your life but it's useless on the ground. When you're trusting God's character, believing God's word, obeying God's commands, that is when, church, you are wielding the shield of faith that can extinguish all the fiery arrows that Satan releases your way. So as we close, here's the question. Where is your faith? Maybe another way to ask it. Who is your shield? Is Christ your refuge? Have you run to him for salvation, for forgiveness, for everything you need to resist the evil one and have victory in Christ? If you've never, if you've never run to Christ as your refuge for salvation, I would invite you just to put your faith in him even right now at this moment. Would you bow with me? Right now, you can just call out to Christ. 
maybe you're struggling right now and you're you like that father whose child was sick. You said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief right now. And today you're gonna set aside all those false shields. And today you're gonna put away unbelief and you're going to put your faith in Christ who has victory over all. If you're ready to do that, would you just pray something like this? Say, Lord Jesus, I'm looking to you for salvation. My faith is in you. I know I'm too weak. I'm too sinful to overcome Satan on my own. But I'm putting my faith in you today. Help me to win the victory in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now with everyone looking right here, if you pray that today, if you know today you put your faith in Jesus Christ, we want you to let us know. You can fill out that red card. You can text yes to 40371 or take a physical red card at your campus. Let us know that you have trusted in Christ today. I wanna invite you all to stand with me. Everyone standing at every campus. As we close today, we're gonna have a, a song of response, an opportunity for you maybe to pray, an opportunity for you to worship, an opportunity for you to firm up your faith in Christ as we go out to fight the battle against the evil one this week. Let's pray together. Father, we humble ourselves before you. We empty ourselves of all pride and self-assurance. We throw ourselves at your feet, knowing that we are weak, but you are strong. And Lord, we cast all our anxieties on you. We know your word has told us you care for us. You are with us. You will not forsake us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength today to believe, give us the strength today to resist the evil one by faith in order that we might experience your victory in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.